It's illegal to record people without their permission. That's actually not true. Oh, um, do I have your permission to record? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, do I have your permission to record? You do. I think we just found our name for the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's illegal to record without permission. (laughs) The podcast by two brothers, one of which doesn't know it's a podcast. (laughs) I didn't think it was weird when we started just having these conversations every week. Okay. Uh, Welcome, Ty. The inaugural uh, movie discussion podcast uh, titled TBD. Uh, Both of us, pretty big fan of movies for a while. Um, Gone to a lot of movies, and I always enjoy talking about them with you uh, when we see them together or even if we see them separately. So I thought we'd try to record this. And see how it goes from there. Yeah, I'm excited. Maybe to get to know our movie taste, we'll just give an answer. We'll answer a question each week about kind of movies we enjoy or movies we like. So um, let's start out. Ty, what is your favorite comedy movie? Well, my favorite comedy movie is probably The Family Stone. You know that one? (laughs) I do. I do. Yeah. Well, I think it's a great comedy because it is both tender but also really funny. And I think now I've been taking a lot of um, sketch comedy writing classes here lately in my life. And uh, I can just see more um, what the writers are doing. And I think uh, they make really strong character choices in that movie that are hilarious. And they have this sort of uh, mismatching that they play off of as a game. And then the, and then the mismatching gets switched by the end. and. I think that's super clever and i think yeah just a lot of surprises it has a lot of surprises in it too that are really funny nice nice uh for me reed uh my favorite comedy uh is one we've seen together uh, four lions it's pretty small uh, it was a movie i saw at sundance originally but um kind of subverts the <laughs> terrorist culture and is very absurdist and I think it's really funny um, I've made several people watch it with me um, I think I think it's funnier than other people but basically I know the jokes before they're coming and I'll, I'll be laughing before they're even like the punchlines even delivered I think it's so funny <laughs> that's because you that's because you've always thought terrorism is hilarious uh, yeah pro pro terror here so <laughs> Got to get our. We should get our politics out in the first episode. Yeah, let people know where where we stand. Um, Reads the sympathizer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, are we allowed to amend those declarations in the future? I guess we can revisit it. What do you mean? Maybe maybe, maybe if we cycle through all the um, types of movies, by the time we get back to favorite comedy. Mine will have changed. That's fair. Yeah, we can re- revisit. That's a good point. Or it could be like, okay. favorite comedy of the 90s. Mm. <laughs> I have some comedy gold back there. Seriously? <laughs> I watched Groundhog Day again. I went with mom. Our mother came to New York City to visit me a couple months ago. And we went to the Groundhog Day, the musical. <laughs> which was pretty good. Okay. It was pretty good, but it reminded me of the movie Groundhog Day, 
Yeah, see, I'm already changing my story. That movie is so brilliant. It's ingenious. So clever. Um, all right, well, today we are uh, not talking about a comedy, although there were some funny moments in Blade Runner 2049. No, there were not. <laughs> there were no funny moments. Even the funny lines, even the funny lines Ron, Ryan Gosling sucked the air out of. I think it was just that okay, deadpan stare after every big reveal <laughs> that uh, got to me, so... Deadpan or puppy dog? <laughs> He's bringing it. Um, yeah, I guess, had you... When's the last time you'd seen Blade Runner, the original movie? I've only seen it once, and I really wanted to watch it again before I saw this one, but I didn't have time. So I saw it probably three years ago for the first time and only time. Okay. Uh, I think I'd seen it once before on, like, an iPad, so kind of small, alone. Um, but this week, before I saw Blade Runner 2049, I went to a double feature. So I saw the original Blade Runner and then 2049 back-to-back in a movie theater. And I, I loved the first one, actually. I think just it moves kind of slow. It's very pretty. Uh, I was very into the first movie. Uh, I liked kind of the interesting nature and quirkiness of the the villain in that movie and just felt like the scope of it was smaller than uh it was kind of contrasted to Blade Runner 2049 um we saw right afterwards where yeah I just feel like I, I noticed some things about 2049 that I didn't I guess didn't like as much as the original Blade Runner but I think um you know, 2049's gotten some good reviews. People have um, been speaking very highly of it, and people are very excited about seeing this movie. So I'm sure, I'm sure it's going to do well. It also is stunningly beautiful visually. Like, I could, have watched, I could have watched it with no story almost at all, and I would have loved it. In yeah. Fact, maybe more. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, let's, yeah, let's go into uh, kind of just how our general thoughts and feelings of it. Um, I agree. Stunningly beautiful. Were there other things, kind of your overall feeling coming out of the movie? I really thought the writing was interesting in the sense that it basically was these series of vignettes, I felt like, where, you know, it starts with that scene with um, Agent or uh, Officer K and the guy that is farming. And yeah, David Batista is the actor. And and it has that scene and um, it's this little vignette where they uh, get to go through a little arc and then and then it's over and obviously David Batista's not in the movie anymore after that. But I thought it was super interesting how it just kept going through those things and those little um, encounters with other characters and then it would be kind of done with them. There's very little... Uh, it felt to me more of a sparse movie than most if you outlined it where it's like this is the scene where he goes back to the orphanage this is the scene where he meets the girl in the um, confined space this is the scene where there were more interactions with his police chief obviously Um, but I just I don't know I thought that was really interesting to think about as like those actors that were playing those parts that he interacted with just one or two times this they had their their one basic scene to act in, to do, to make an impression. Some of them were really great. Um, 
but there wasn't a lot of ensemble work or interactions among all of them, which I just I thought was it struck me as being super interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think thinking back, uh, Ryan Gosling is in almost all the scenes except for the scenes with the other, um, the assistant who, you know, interacts with the police chief on her own or interacts with um, Jared Leto on his, on his own, on her own. Um, I mean, if, if it's not Ryan Gosling, she's in the other scene, it felt like, or it's just kind of really about his interactions with people and then her sort of coming and, and you know, leading to that conflict at the end. Yeah, I thought she was great. Um, I loved the the woman, the dream, the memory creator. I thought she was fantastic. I don't know, just I really loved listening to her voice. I thought she had an interesting voice, and I think she created a lot of empathy for me. So yeah, I thought that was startling. And I also really liked Ryan, um, Agent K's uh, girlfriend and the scene with the prostitute I thought was super interesting a very visual way of um, showing kind of one of the central themes of the movie that uh, what is real and what isn't real and how we differentiate and what is a real social or or, or love connection. Yeah, I mean, that scene went a totally different direction than I, I would have expected where I'm, you know, not quite sure what's happening, but his his sort of Know, virtual reality girlfriend <laughs> gets a prostitute to come to the house uh, but then when she kind of forms on top of her maps on top of her and that visual where you can see kind of the shadow of both of them interacting with Ryan Gosling and you know the two hands that are moving across his neck I thought it was, yeah it was very I guess kind of a, a, a visual that was effective for me yeah and I I would say a minor I would make a minor correction to what you just said which maybe some of our listeners will think is interesting I don't know but um, I've studied a little bit of augmented reality versus virtual reality and she was actually an augmented reality character because she she was overlaid onto what he was really seeing anyway Um, and I, I I'm super interested in augmented reality and I I, I like I like movies where they point to the future of how it's going to be used because I I think virtual reality is not going to change the world we live in, but I think augmented reality really is. Um, so it, yeah, it would be such a fun job to be the guy who or girl who gets to imagine. Uh, okay, and then I guess just from the overall plot perspective, did you were you you know pretty comfortable following what was going on with? Replicants and the that the corporation interacting with you know Ryan Gosling as a policeman. Do you think do you think they did a, they did an effective job kind of communicating the story? I I don't think I was confused by the plot, but I think I was confused by uh, some of the interactions. I thought it was really hard. Actually, just on a technical point, I thought it was really hard to understand some of them speaking English. Uh, what they were, the words they were saying. Sometimes, did you have that problem? A little bit, definitely. Jared Leto. Yeah, yeah, he was really hard to understand. And feel like didn't. I mean, they're they're doing something with his eyes, but he also didn't look at the other characters very much, or was kind of always sh- shaded or darkness around on his face. 
I think he was blind. That's that's interesting. That's um, I thought maybe he had some sort of like artificial eye that was electronic that allowed him to interact or see. But no, I think. Well, you can tell me if you if this squares with what you remember. But I think he has that little microchip that his assistant put on his neck. That he has a set of eyes or an array of possible eyes, and so he chose to use the little hovering um, black bugs as his eyes during that meeting. So he, so the chip that she put on there determines the which optical feed gets sent into his brain. Oh, interesting. And if he doesn't have a chip on, then he can't see anything. And I don't know if that's by choice. Like he decided to go blind because he thought that's he would have access to higher visual whatever. But I was imagining that probably in his mind he was seeing a 3D model created by the cameras from all the different sides. And I guess maybe just to help me understand it, his motivation for stopping the child of a replicant is to allow him to keep owning that replicant production and making money? Or did they want to create a kind of super race of (laughs) replicants? Or is this something that really doesn't matter in the overall story, but just (laughs) drove the plot somewhat? (laughs) I think it matters. I think it matters. It's, uh, but I think it was very confusing. And so my understanding was, uh, in that speech he makes, the second speech he does, um, he was hoping, or he realized that the demand for replicants far outstripped their ability to supply, to supply them, and their only uh, their only chance as a company to supply everything that they needed to would be if the replicants could start having baby replicants. So he wanted to find the baby to study it to see how it could have occurred, because it shouldn't have, in order to internalize that and yeah profit off of it i so i somehow therefore like if, it were, if a replicant has a baby i guess they own the baby that was never explained i also i i have a hard time understanding why he slit the belly of that naked new replicant um i, I don't know i'd be interested in knowing in hearing what you think i think it was because he was frustrated that or angry that she wasn't able to have babies that he hadn't solved this problem yet and so he was cutting her womb open as a symbolic statement of his frustration I don't know it, that was a very confusing scene well I think he also had the um, the replicant murdered after Harrison Ford sort of rejected that option and I think kind of his mind is if it's not going to perform a duty or doesn't fulfill the function that he's expecting it to he has no need for it and then it's just wasteful so I, I guess, yeah, it could be a kind of an expression of his frustration, but I think it's also just kind of his the utility that he gets from these replicants are is really not you know creating a new life or having something be there, but but can it do something for him or does it help him further his goals? Yeah, I think that's true. I, do you, he never gave that newborn replicant a chance, did he? That's what maybe a part of my misunderstanding. I guess I'm not sure if they knew it, if she would be able to bear children or not or how that was vi- if it was viable that way. 
I didn't, yeah. I mean, I like Jared Leto, but I did not like those scenes very much. They were very confusing to me. I felt like they tried to make him more mystic than they needed to. I mean, there's a lot of talk of kind of what's going on off-world and, you know, how he will show Harrison Ford what pain really is off-world. But it's like, why do you have to take him off-world to do that? I mean, obviously to allow uh, Ryan Gosling to save Harrison Ford, but couldn't couldn't they just have tortured Harrison Ford in that building? Yeah, I think... <laughs> All they would have had to do is make him do, like, one day of work under that wavy light, and he would have gone insane. <laughs> Oh, you, you haven't switched the lighting in your apartment to be reflected light off of water yet? Blade Runner 49 settings? 2049 settings? Oh my gosh, there's no... Uh, yeah, I'm guessing, I, I'm, I shouldn't knock it because I thought it was beautiful, but there's no way someone works that in that light. <laughs> soft gold and never consistent. Like, honestly, you'd be, that's, there's a reason he's blind. His, his yeah. eyes could never adjust to the lighting. <laughs> exactly. Um, oh, my gosh. All right, so coming out of this movie, one thing I know you do coming out of a movie is kind of have you know a question or something you look up for Blade Runner 2049. What was your question that you Googled? When I came out, uh, I looked up the music, which I think is often what I do, but uh, apparently... Um, Vangelis wrote the music for the original Blade Runner. Have you heard about this controversy? No. And then Johan Johansson, who wrote the music for Arrival, um, he was hired to do it, and then he was fired really late, and Hans, Hans Zimmer was hired to do it. So there's a few controversial things about this. One is Vangelis is still a practicing musician, why didn't they hire him to? And that's the score from the original Blade Runner is super famous. It's amazing, you know. So some people are angry that they didn't just hire him, let him do the sequel to his own music. Um, and then the second thing is people are pretty angry that they've fired Johan Johansson, or some people are. I mean, obviously, some people are happy because Hans Zimmer gets to do like everything. I mean, he gets so much work. Um, it's really hard for. It's like one more blockbuster that goes to Hans Zimmer. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, Johan Johansson got enough of his Brom sound in, though. <laughs> so he shouldn't feel too bad. He got it in this film? I mean, it's every scene. <laughs> Brom. I think that's just the background noise of living in a post-industrial <laughs> dystopia. I don't think that's your... That's, that's the sound guy. <laughs> he's... he's I don't know. It was loud and persistent. Where I think the original movie had a very kind of synthy electronic sound that I really enjoyed. And that was not... I, I missed that in Blade Runner 2049. So I think I would be in the camp of let the original guy come back and do the soundtrack again. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was a bummer. Huh. Um... And I, I mean, I, I knew this already, but the director, uh, I don't know how to say his name. Do you know how to say it? Denis Villeneuve or something like that? Denis Villeneuve? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you gotta Villeneuve. Have a little, throw a little French on there and you'll be fine. <laughs> Look, if he comes over to my house for dinner, I'm going to call him Dennis, okay? So, <laughs> uh, 
uh, I loved Sicario so much. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. So I'm all, I was very excited to see it um, because it's him again. And I mean, I, I think he does the... I think he has a great eye visually. I, I think you could see some of the similarities, for example, between the spaceship and Arrival and the Wallace headquarters. Both, mm-hmm. both very sparse, modern. Um, and I think also in the very quiet, understated acting. But yeah, I guess I think I am starting to feel also like maybe Denny could get a little bit better at putting a little humor in there. I don't know. <laughs> I wanted it to be funny. I felt like there were times when it could have been funny. Like the scene with um, when Ryan Gosling confronts Harrison Ford in Las Vegas. That that scene was the I thought the the conversation was very flat and just could have been so much better and more interesting. Well, I feel like the or like even even through their fight when they're like, "Well, we could keep doing this, or we can go get a drink." And yeah. Ryan Gosling's like next line is like, "Yeah, let's uh, let's get a drink." I don't know. I just it's yeah, that was such a bad. It was supposed was such to be kind of scene. quippy and smart, but I I didn't feel that way. I agree. I thought I thought I was bummed with Harrison Ford's uh, work, or I, I don't think it's his fault necessarily, but it's age. I just really, <laughs> I mean, has, has he ever heard of Botox? Holy crap! <laughs> I'm just no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that has nothing. To, I'm not talking about him. What he looked like physically. What I mean is, uh, I just feel like he probably. I wonder if he felt like, geez, these are the lines I get, and I got to deliver everything. So. Um, so straight faced, straight laced. I don't know. Well, right. His his character in the first movie, and maybe his best characters, are I don't know, kind of nonchalant, or they're the ones that are getting to say those sort of one line kind of things. That yeah, I think. But this is just a different type of character, a different muscle that he was using. Well, they they're often the characters that are the maybe not smartest guy, but cleverest guy in the room and it didn't feel like that here he was very reactive he wasn't yeah yeah he... uh, so I guess before we move to the other actors for um, Denny Villanueva, how do you feel this kind of stacks up in his progression as a director who has you know gone low budget and then a little medium, medium budget sci-fi and now had this kind of big budget picture well i think i think visually he's very very good i I think he and i love the sound design so i the the low rumble never bothered me i love the music the uh that um i wish it would have been vangelis too but um i thought the music was beautiful still and uh yeah so i love his visuals and i love his sound his sense of sound and i love his characterizations i mean i was i was i don't fault him for the bad writing i think there was some sort of lame lame scene writing though yeah and you think with the larger but, budget but he just gets he, he he does get better or he is progressing still oh i don't know that's a hard question i mean i think sicario i liked sicario better than this movie yeah and, and arrival uh i probably like this better than arrival arrival is okay but also it just got a little slow for me that's true this had more definitely more action more stuff going on with it uh i mean what would you want to see him direct next? What type of movie? Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you want to... Do you like him? I don't know how you feel about him. Uh, 
Yeah. I guess I love Sicario, but um, <laughs> based on previous conversations, that might be more about the story I love, and the, the writing. And uh, I like Tyler Sheridan a lot. So, no, I, I mean, I'll see his next movie definitely and I'm excited for what he does. Do you know what his next movie is? We don't know yet, do we? No, I don't. I'm not sure. He, I think he does. He is more interested in these quiet, um, shifting relationships between people, and and so maybe that is more uh, better suited to smaller movies. This is mildly related, but I thought the action, especially the love, the character love and her fighting, was a little hokey. I don't know. The action wasn't great. I would say. Oh yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, so maybe that's not his strong suit. Also, I think uh, Sicario was great because it had the political current event dimension to it. And uh, maybe he's a keen observer of current events and that, you know, he needs another movie that would let him kind of comment on our current society. I'm, I mean, I'm sure he could argue Blade Runner is a comment on our current society too, but... Yeah. Well, let's move on to the, I guess, actors. Maybe I'll start with, yeah, with Ryan Gosling, uh, who I'm a big fan of. I really like the movies he's been in in the past. Uh, I feel like he has a lot of kind of range and variety in what he's done. And this is definitely different from other things that I've seen him in. Uh, but I would say didn't kind of fit what... I don't think this role fit him very well and that it didn't let him be sort of charming and I yeah I think he was often understated quiet contemplative which I think he it's not like he's bad at doing those things but just missed out on some of his stronger acting abilities I walked out of it and I remember as I was walking um, back to my motorcycle to ride home I was thinking who who would I have cast because I didn't feel like Ryan Gosling was a great fit. He He's not – he's too nice, I think. He just looks – he is too nice of a person. And I think it should have been someone who was a little bit more tortured and a little bit more – I would have liked to see more um, doubt and more conflict, in, internal conflict when he's asked to do these things that are horrible. He had that really interesting scene where he – gets up and screams and kicks the thing that's totally out of character with him the rest of the movie. Yes. Yes. That I thought that was, was good. It's very su- yeah, jolting. I, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's very much a surprise. Yeah. Yeah. So I think if I I wish more of that energy would have been visible other times. Like some not even to I, I get that the surprise is nice, but it but you want it you don't want it to come out of the blue. You want it to be um hinted at, I think. So I, I think another point of his acting gets to the central theme of the movie, which is these replicants are not supposed to be robots, but he played it very robotically, I would say. They're just supposed to not have a soul. That doesn't mean you have to do things with no emotion, right? I don't know. Well, yeah. I don't know if that was in, no, I, I don't know if that was intentional or what. I mean, I think, the, yeah, the other replicants you interact with or see, the, the prostitute, the assistant, I feel like definitely display more emotion in our more human-like than than Ryan Gosling is, where he's just very controlled and precise in a lot of what he does. Yeah, exactly. I agree with that. Can you think of someone that you would have rather cast? That's tough. No. Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. 
Well, it just would have been yes. it would have been tough to get a face mask in this movie, but they could have done something to cover up his his face. Wait, is that a joke? That is a Tom, that is a Tom Hardy joke. <laughs> uh, I guess like in Dunkirk and the La- the Dark Knight Rises, <laughs> you just can't wait. This, you just can't see his face. This movie's perfect. Ryan Gosling's coat, dude. Oh, I guess yeah. That, <laughs> that's true. We could get a little coat, more uh, of the coat all the way zipped up, which was a cool look. Yeah, I guess I keep going back to, you know, the visuals, uh, getting to Las Vegas, all the kind of industrial space, being very compelling, very interesting to look at. But the story and the plot, I felt like was a little bit confusing. And then obviously, I think we're going to go different ways on this, but I was disappointed that he wasn't the child in the end. (laughs) And on it, I was hoping so much when he told Harrison Ford that he has a daughter he can go meet, that Harrison Ford was going to say, oh, but she was pregnant with twins. It was going to be perfect. Oh, snap. That would have been perfect. It's okay that it did. That would have been great. It, movies. I'm trying to think. I mean, <laughs> I could have been happy either way. Yeah. I don't always think movies have to be wrapped up so cleanly, even if I want that to happen. I think it's good for it not to be like, not to be like that. But that sense of disappointment he feels when it's not him, and he and the, you know that the leader of the resistance is telling him. Um, I mean, yeah, I felt for him. I feel like you know he he wanted it to be him. I think he wanted that sense of. A connection or a relationship, or just wanted to feel more human that way. Yeah, but that moment was emotionally as important and as intense as the moment when he thought he found out that he was the son, and when he explodes and kicks the chair in the room. And I think it should have been matched. I don't. I did not feel like the reaction was strong enough of disappointment. And just that whole, um, the whole sequence where he okay, he learns he's not the son, and he's asked to go kill. He's asked to go kill Harrison Ford, right? Yes. That whole sequence seemed very forced and very hurried to me compared... That's a huge choice. You just went from thinking this guy's your father to now being assigned to kill him by his friends. But did you think there was ever a chance he was going to actually kill Harrison Ford? Yeah. I thought thought that would be a pretty dramatic ending. Yeah. And also I think... I, I find it compelling to say that the most human thing to do... I think I think he did the right thing. I think he did the more human thing. But it is an interesting ethical dilemma of is it more human, more compassionate to kill him or not? Well, I guess also he changes. So he turns from being this guy who just obeys every order and doesn't know he can say no. That's an important line earlier in the film. Um, to this person who does say no mm-hmm. to an order. Yeah. How about that scene with uh, crushing the glass in the in the. Uh, Chief's hand. That was freaking awesome. Oh, yeah, just feeling like this replicant has so much power over her. And, you know, is these things, these replicants are superhuman. And if they if they could revolt or could take over, you know, I don't think humans would have much of a chance. And that's probably why they're so terrified, the humans are. Uh, I love that scene, and I felt shades of Sicario in that scene, too. Of the cruelty that's, that people are, or replicants are possible. Yeah, she's like, well, I'll just tell him. Capable of. Yeah, because it's like, oh, you don't think, you know, you don't think replicates can lie, but I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to lie about killing you and people are going to believe me. I'm going to use that to my advantage, that that 
you guys don't know about replicants that way. Yeah. yeah. So I guess would you you would recommend people should see this movie? It sounds like. Oh yeah, I would for sure. You? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I, I'm of a mind of things that are broadly in the in in pop culture and are spoken about. I often want am wanting to see and want to be a part of that conversation, and I think you know, other people should as well. So I I would recommend this one definitely, and I think it for the visuals it it would be worth the time definitely. Everyone needs to see Ryan Gosling watch, walking through that orange world slowly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess let's kind of wrap up with how we feel about the movie. Um, where would you sort of rate this movie, Ty? I would give this one a four out of five. Four out of five. I think, I think it's, for me, the music and the visuals were interesting enough. And the ethical and thematic issues were important enough that I think it's worth seeing. I think I'm going to go three out of five for this. Um, honestly, I think seeing the original Blade Runner right before it uh, is you know, one of the reasons I'm going with a lower rating where I just noticed a lot of the differences in the, in the two movies. And uh, I guess for me, I appreciated the, the stylings of the first one more. So I'll go with a three. What do you give the first one? Uh, I guess I think I'd do the first one as a five, maybe a four. This is where that half number would help. <laughs> not allowed I need to watch it again I'll watch it I guess yeah. I'll watch it again five I would reserve for things that I feel like are kind of imminently rewatchable and I don't think I would watch Blade Runner once a year even but would revisit it every two or three years for sure cool um, alright well before we say goodbye let's um, hear sort of like another recommendation do you have some other piece of you know, media, pop culture, TV show you want to recommend this week? It's not it's not too poppy, but I just finished the book Ficciones uh, by Borges. He's an Argentine writer. It's the title's in Spanish, but it, they just left it in Spanish. But the um, it was translated into English, and it was great. It was, I think, maybe about fifteen short stories that he made up that were super interesting. So it's pretty. It, you could just read one at a time. They you gotta pay close attention because weird stuff's happening. And it's you gotta keep track of it. But very inventive, and I, it actually reminded me a lot of films because he's creating these little worlds that are that are not real that you haven't that don't that aren't based on the world I know. But he creates them and creates conflict in them, and it's very compelling. I thought it was beautiful. Cool. Uh, that's way classier than mine. I think um, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go a little bit easier route, uh, probably a little more accessible too for people. But uh, my wife and I have been watching The Good Place on Fox. It's a sitcom, and just came back for the second season. They executed a pretty clever turn at the end of season one, and now are kind of exploring that. And uh, we've enjoyed watching. The episodes so far came back I think last week so I'd recommend yeah that's uh, the a great good one. place I just I've watched all of it in the last three weeks cool well thank you for joining me Ty to talk about Blade yeah, Runner 2049 um, we'll uh, hopefully be back next week with um, another yeah. title TBD good first podcast <laughs> bye <laughs>